Turn with me in your Bibles to the Song of Songs, if you would, Song of Songs chapter 8. We are going to uh, conclude our short series here in this greatest of songs, the superlative song of the, that we have in the Scriptures. Uh, and I, I recognize it's probably a challenging read for us. We're not spending a whole lot of time in love poetry uh, throughout the week, would be my, would be my guess. Um, but the author and source of life in this great story of redemption has uh, given us this poetry. And God uh, gives us this song to convey the beauty and the goodness of His design for sexual desire and sexual fulfillment of that desire in marriage. There is a right desire. There is a right time and place for that desire to be unleashed in the safety and lifelong commitment of the marriage covenant. And to say that keeping that marriage covenant is an easy thing or somehow smooth sailing um, without any sort of conflict, that would be completely naive. Um, to think that marriage, even a healthy marriage, will satisfy every desire, uh, fill our deepest longings, that's also going to leave us disappointed. Um, so we're being reminded through this love song, through the admiration and the praise that this couple has for each other, that this is a picture, a pointer to a greater love, a greater desire that we possess. The greater love of God for His bride, for His church, and the greater desire that we have to be known unashamedly. Is it any wonder then that this is the song of songs? And so I pray that our time in this book has been helpful, uh, maybe in unraveling some of this poetry, some of the mystery surrounding this section of, of God's Word, that maybe we'll be more apt and willing to include it as part of our regular Bible reading and meditation. So we're going to finish uh, the love song together beginning at 8 verse 6. Set me as a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your arm. For love is strong as death, jealousy is fierce as the grave. Its flashes are flashes of fire, the very flame of the Lord. Many waters cannot quench love, neither can floods drown it. If a man offered for love all the wealth of his house, he would be utterly despised. We have a little sister, and she has no breasts. What shall we do for our sister on the day when she is spoken for? If she is a wall, we will build on her a battlement of silver. But if she is a door, we will enclose her with boards of cedar. I was a wall. My breasts were like towers. Then I was in his eyes as one who finds peace. Solomon had a vineyard at Baal Haman. He let out the vineyard to keepers. Each one was to bring for its fruit a thousand pieces of silver. My vineyard, my very own, is before me. You, O Solomon, may have the thousand, the keepers of the fruit, two hundred. O you who dwell in the gardens, with companions listening for your voice, let me hear it. Make haste, my beloved, and be like a gazelle or a young stag on the mountains. Of spices. This is God's holy and enduring love poetry to His church. Let's pray together. Father, we are grateful for Your Word that is a lamp to our feet, a light to our path, Your Word that endures forever, Your Word that teaches us and encourages us, Your Word that warns us 
as we make this pilgrim journey of faith. And so we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would draw near now and illumine our hearts to the truth of your word. That we might know you are God even more. That we might delight in your covenant faithfulness and love for us. Oh, come, Lord Jesus. Come, our heavenly bridegroom, that the desire of our hearts might be fully satisfied. We pray this all in your name. Amen. Well, in the late third century, Emperor Claudius II of Rome, he did something quite remarkable. He abolished marriage across the Roman Empire. So how could anybody get away with that? How can you abolish marriage? And I'm not sure he ever fully got away with it. His uh, argument was that men who would, would be a part of his army, and he needed a big army to keep control, that married men were distracted. They wanted to be home with their families and their wives, and so they did not make good fighting men, and so he abolished marriage. But there was one bishop, the Bishop of Internma, uh, which later be, uh, became known as Terni. It's northeast of, of Rome, just a little ways. Uh, this bishop did not agree with the emperor, and so he would meet with young couples and marry them in secret and eventually and there's there's different versions of this uh, story but eventually word got out to Claudius and this bishop was uh, imprisoned and Claudius went and, and talked with this bishop and he was so impressed by the bishop's convictions that he said well you can keep your life if you renounce your faith if you renounce this position that you've taken and uh, this this bishop refused to do that and so in 270 A.D., so late 3rd century, he was, he was beaten, he was stoned, and then he was beheaded uh, because Claudius was so determined to keep uh, marriage abolished across the empire. Ironically, just a few weeks later, after this bishop was executed, Claudius himself uh, died um, as he was preparing for battle. Uh, and if not for the martyrdom of this bishop, uh, we would probably never know this friend of lovers, a bishop who gave his life for the sake of love, for love to be enjoyed within marriage. Uh, Catholic Church remembers him as Saint Valentine. Um, and so when we get to Valentine's Day, uh, we're probably thinking a little bit more about you know, Cupid shooting the arrows and the hearts and the chocolates and uh, roses and things like that, but the man behind, wherever it is we've taken that day over the years, he fought for marriage. Um, is the union where, where love can be uh, shared between a husband and wife. So we need to remember that. We need constant reminders of what real love looks like. Um, we need to see that real love is committed, that it is self-giving, that it desires this exclusivity, that real love that celebrates the beauty and the worth of the one who's given it, the God who is love. Um, so this love is portrayed in the song before us. And even with you know, all of its challenges, the opposition at times, the staying power of real love is on display here. Um, this love is worth that type of commitment and sacrifice that nothing in this world uh, can be exchanged for it. So we're going to ask our questions for a final time here. What is real 
about this relationship, what is ideal about what we are seeing here between this husband and wife. How does it inform our relationships? And then what does it tell us about the love of God in Jesus Christ? Uh, My wife's birthday was just a couple of days ago and she opened a few cards. And on the back of one of the cards was a stamp made with love by Sharon Plate. And uh, Sharon uh, just, she does enjoy uh, making these cards. She does a, a wonderful job. They're very special to us. But she didn't have to put a stamp on the back of that card. Uh, but the stamp tells us that that card was owned by Sharon. Um, it was hers personally, and she created it. Now she was uh, giving it to uh, Katie. So keep that that stamp of ownership in mind as you hear these words, set me as a seal upon your heart, a seal upon your arm. The woman here is imploring her man to display her ownership of him in public. Maybe around his neck where that seal was dangling over his heart. Around his wrist. It may also be a picture of, of this love, both body and soul, wrist and inside, heart. She desires their love to be made unknown. And seals were, they, they were placed on those things most valuable uh, to the owner. And so she wants that to be her. Uh, she wants their love to be the most value, the most prized possession. So as husband and wife now, they have risked much. They have entrusted much to each other. So the woman desires her husband to hold what has been entrusted and vice versa. So there's a mutual ownership here. There's nothing stronger. You see there in verse 6. Nothing stronger to include the sexual enjoyment they have known. That is, it is unshakable. Not even the power of the grave can extinguish that. I mean, just ask a a man or a woman, healthy, godly marriage, who has had to say farewell, who has had to bury a spouse, if that love is just gone. It's not. You can't put a price on this. There's nothing more valuable than the love that they share. We see there in verse 7. And one can have all the wealth that this world has to offer and be utterly despised for uh, rejecting or trading in this love. I thought of the announcement, this was a little while ago now, of Bill and Melinda Gates, uh, that they were divorcing after 27 years of marriage. And whatever their marriage looked like, I I don't know. Um, But the promise that they had made to one another was no longer valuable enough to fight for or to invest in or to sacrifice for. And then there may have been appropriate you know, grounds for dissolving the marriage. But what are they trading? How broken and poor they may be sitting on the world's wealth. I think we find a great built-in illustration of this in verse 11. Solomon has this great vineyard. Most commentators will say that this vineyard is a reference to his harem. So with all his wealth, he could add all that he wanted to this harem women who who likely didn't have much of a choice as to whether they would open their vineyard to him or not. We read in 1 Kings, 700 wives, 300 concubines. 
And now here in verse 11, each one was to bring for its fruit a thousand pieces of silver. So with all his wisdom, okay, the love that this couple shows to one another, how, how poor Solomon may have been seated on the throne of Israel. This woman couldn't be bought. She wasn't just part of the group, part of the harem. Her body was at her disposal and, and she would give herself freely to the one that she chose. This was her own vineyard. In verses 8 through 10, we hear again from family members of this woman, from her brothers, makes a, it marks an, a, an inclusio here with chapter 1, 5 and 6. Maybe you remember where the brothers' family had made her, her work outside contributes nicely to the unity, the cohesion of this song. It doesn't paint her family members in a very good light. Her brothers seem to be, uh, they seem to have good intentions here. They have concern for her and her purity. They're ready to protect that purity uh, for her future husband. They really don't seem to understand the type of woman that she is. Um, They view her as young, as not prepared for marriage. And then they're ready, it seems, to do whatever is necessary to, um, to guard her. Um, and in that, that culture, we see some of the difference in the, in the cultures here. At that time, the, the men of the family, father, the brothers, uh, they would be the ones to determine the bride uh, price. Um, and so they certainly stood to benefit from a greater uh, bride price and whoever paid to marry their sister. Uh, and this time, you know, ladies were about 13 years old, maybe a few years older than that, young men about the same. Um, and if she was a wall, if she had guarded her purity against attack, then they would just build on those defenses. If she was a door, a little more free with her sexuality, then they would put an end to that, put an end to any advances. She would be inaccessible, we get from that that picture. Um, And so the woman makes it clear to them that she has grown, she has matured, she has guarded her purity. She's not been free with her vineyard, like a door for men to go in and out. No, she has protected that vineyard. Um, Not just a trophy to be spoken for by the highest bidder. She's chosen the one that, that she loves. So the song ends with this call and desire of the shepherd to hear her voice. They dwell in this garden of love and he still desires her. He's still captivated by her. And it doesn't end in verse 14. It, it, it almost seems to stop midstream uh, when we read that. And she calls him to return, enjoy her body in that exclusive safety of their marriage. Um, so even in the course of their marriage, in the course of their life, when they may be separated for periods of time, hours, days, their relationship endures. Make haste, my beloved. Come back. Enjoy the love that we share. Um, so how does this speak then into our own relationships? Uh, anything we can glean from this poetry, especially how it ends here. I think one of the first things that stands out is this sense of ownership and jealousy within their marriage. They are a seal, uh, the most 
treasured possession to each other. In the New Testament, when considering the, the exclusivity, the loyalty of marriage, the temptation that remains uh, in marriage to misuse sexuality, here's what the Apostle Paul says. He says, The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights, and likewise the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. So do you hear the mutual giving that is designed? Not taking, giving. Mutual protection and, and safety, jealousy. If one spouse is withholding his or her body from the other out of spite or, or anger, not out of mutual consent, then that is cause for concern in a marriage. If one spouse is demanding the body of the other without mutual consent and desire, then that's cause for concern. So this, this dance of love is a, a mutual giving and jealousy. Um, we know a husband and wife can never meet all of the relational needs of the other. Wives should have other women who are friends. Uh, maybe other men who are friends. Uh, men need other men as friends. And they, they may even have friendships with other women, but there are things that, that must be exclusive to the marriage. Uh, things that, that spouses should, should be the first to know, perhaps the only ones uh, to know in life. Um, thinking of, of the greatest fears that we have, the greatest struggles, greatest delights and dreams. Those should be shared with a spouse, guarded by a spouse. So let me pose that question. Do we protect one another in marriage with an appropriate jealousy? Um, giving ourselves for the other. Even the ordinary, there's, there's sort of the heroic protection. Are you coming on to my spouse and you know, standing firm? But what about just the everyday, mundane, in and outs of life? Is there a jealousy? You belong to me. I belong to you. I'm going to fight for you. Um, I think that's an important thing for us to consider. And we hear the language of how uh, powerful this love is, that it's a fire that cannot be quenched. Uh, it's a good reminder that a healthy marriage is a marriage that is continually growing and deepening. It's the closest of friendships that is impassioned. Commenting on this section, uh, Pastor Ian Duguid, he said that, that marriage is friendship on fire. I like that terminology. Quite different than what we are surrounded with, with the message uh, that we hear around us. Uh, you know, forget marriage and just be friends with benefits. You know, as if sexual enjoyment and consummation was just a perk of knowing someone of the opposite sex. And then if you do decide to take the plunge, if you do decide to get married, well then it's probably more about who does what, shared responsibilities in the marriage, than it is about a shared passion and enjoyment in being together. Um, maybe you remember the musical The Fiddler on the Roof. So this is early 70s, so many of you will not, but some of you will. But you remember Tevya sings to his wife Golda, Do you love me? Do I what? She says. They've been married for 25 years. 
And she says, I've washed your clothes, I've cooked your meals, I've cleaned your house, I've shared your bed, given you children and milked your cow. Do you love me? I'm your wife. I know. But do you love me? Um, And she finally concedes and gives in. I suppose I do. I suppose I do. Isn't that the posture of so many marriages over the years? We have these shared responsibilities. We'll concede that, yeah, there's something there. Um, But forgetting the, the love that has brought the marriage together, that keeps the marriage together. So the song shows us that love is it's on fire. It may not be that roaring bonfire all the time. It may just be the glimmering coals. But it's love that cannot be extinguished. Um, so if you're married, consider um, thinking upon your wedding vows regularly. Um, for rich and poor, in sickness and in health, in life and in death. See, this love has to be growing. It must be growing to make it through the disappointments, to make it through the the brokenness and tears of life, even to death itself. must be a fire. So the woman has protected her purity. She's uh, awakened love at the proper time. And a a good question for us in our own relationships, do we see the value of protecting sexual purity? Um, On one hand, we say, you know, the, the, the prominence of sexually transmitted diseases, uh, the spread of the, that's a strong deterrent um, for physical health. It seems um, utterly foolish to uh, pursue multiple sexual partners, even with the things we have to protect uh, in that way. But how much more important is that, that bond of the heart preparing ourselves, preparing oneself to give and receive what is exclusive between a husband and wife. We said before that that sexual bonding, that is body and soul. Body and soul, no matter how casual someone thinks it is. So any giving of yourself with that level of intimacy outside of marriage will be just that much less that you have Uh, to give to a spouse in marriage. And so we want to see marriage. God's desire for marriage is that it be that place of service and peace for both spouses. Right? She is that Shulamite. Remember that that shalom where both of them can flourish under that umbrella, that fidelity of marriage. Um, In his book, The the Future of Christian Marriage, uh, Mark Regnerus he offers some counsel to the church on how to think about revitalizing marriage, the type of context, the culture that we can, uh, where we can promote healthy marriages, where they can grow. I'll just make a few observations here for you. Now, one of the things he says, we must share exemplary stories of marriage fidelity. Um, you know, couples that have fought hard against the odds, uh, couples that have endured I mean, I think especially today, we see marriages of 30, 40, 50 years. That's a big stinking deal. We need to acknowledge that. Um, celebrate that. Um, another thing he says is to, is to make the home a, a haven in a heartless world. Make the home a haven in a heartless world. 
our home should be a place of peace, a place of safety, spending time together, not just you know, alternate places to do work, which I know has been difficult in this last year and a half, um, or places where we try to be the most efficient with life. A home is where we're talking and reading and praying and walking and, and playing together and singing, all those things. So we put the screens aside, especially the phones. Um, as helpful as they are, those devices are for consuming culture, not producing culture. So let's practice producing what is good and beautiful when we're together with our families and our homes. Another one here, preparing others for marriage, an ongoing mentorship in marriage. Is there a married couple that you look up to, that you would go to for, for counsel, for listening ear, mentorship? Are you providing that for younger couples? Singles, who are your conversation partners in preparing for marriage, if that's on the horizon? So he offers more suggestions, but I'll just uh, commend that book to you, The Future of Christian Marriage. And I mentioned this uh, last week, but it still is weighing heavy on my heart and mind just when thinking through this, this material and the themes that have come to the fore here. I have no doubt that there are some who are listening to my voice right now who feel like damaged goods sexually, um, either intentionally or unintentionally. You have, you've seen God's good design. You've seen what is ideal twisted and distorted. Scars that you are doing life with right now. Um, others of you may be wondering if anyone will ever speak for you. If anyone will ever you know, look your direction, either because you have been a wall so long, guarded your sexual purity, or a door with your sexual freedom. You have those questions. And that's not even to mention how misused and commercialized sex has become in our day. It's costly. Um, what we think provides this happiness and satisfaction leaves us empty and with deeper guilt and shame. Um, and it's, it's right there in the emptiness in the grave of sexual sin and regret that Jesus meets us. It is God's love for us in the Lord Jesus Christ that triumphs over the grave of our sexual sin or sin against us. It triumphs over your marital failings right now. The love of God is a jealous love that will not let us go. Think of the words of the prophet um, that, are, that, that we are impressed upon the heart of God. Listen to what he says. Can a woman forget her nursing child that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. Behold, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. The word of the Lord. God's children are his most treasured possession. Nothing can separate us from the love of Jesus, from the bride for which he died. I mean, this is commitment. This is loyalty and service that we see in Christ. His love for me, his love for you 
took him to the grave. That's the intensity of his love. That's the cost of our betrothal. I hear the words of the New Testament, but God shows his love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And the prophet Ezekiel shares how the Lord chose his people Israel. It's in Ezekiel chapter 16. There's nothing desirable about Israel. No beauty that would, that would draw this helpless and rebellious people to him. But he set his love upon her. He chose her to be his bride, to, to love and be loved in his covenant faithfulness. And so Israel was an unfaithful bride, giving herself away to other gods, other lovers. But he would continue to set his love upon her. The church united to Christ, he continues to set his love upon you. The filth of our sin He has spoken for us. Child of God, you're spoken for. Do you know that? You're spoken for. You belong to Him, body and soul, and He delights in you. Jesus reminds those who are seated around Him in Luke chapter 7. One who is forgiven much, loves much. Is, is Jesus this morning your treasured possession? Is he your first love and the desire of your heart considering the forgiveness that he has extended to you? That's a great mystery. Uh, the love that Christ has shown for his bride, for the church. I mean, how can this not invoke within us a, a jealousy for him? A commitment to serve, to obey Him out of love. Church family, we're going to hurt others in our relationships. We know this. We're going to be hurt by others, both in and out of marriage on this side of glory. So we fix our eyes on Christ. We must keep returning to the love that the bridegroom has for us. Allow the Spirit to repair our love, rekindle, maybe even restore our love for others. If you've not yet responded to the love of God for you, will you leave the emptiness of your idols behind? Will you repent and turn to the lover of your soul? The only one who can satisfy the deepest longings of your heart to be known unashamedly. Would you do that? You turn to Him? So the song really, it calls us to look back on the unashamed nakedness of Eden. The gift of love that God has given to His image bearers. But it also looks ahead to the perfect love of heaven. A restored and rebuilt Eden where the bride of Christ will be united to her shepherd forever. So in Christian marriage, we we see a picture, enjoy a taste of that perfection that's yet to come. Our deepest longings, our most passionate desires satisfied in union with the Lord Jesus. So on that day, whether we have lived as a single person or married, we will join the chorus of the redeemed, robed in fine linen, with that glorious hallelujah on our lips. So I want to end our time in this song.
Actually, with the words of another song. This one was written by my best friend growing up. I asked uh, Dan if he would consider writing a song for my wedding. And he did. And it debuted on, on June 28, 2003. So almost 18 years ago in another week. Um, but here's what he sang for Katie and me. Now you stand before your God and make your vows of selfless love. Your family and your friends are wishing you the best and praying this for you. That it's love that will hold you, love that will mold you, love that says, I'll be right by your side. For the Son has redeemed you, the Spirit will guide you. May your love reflect the perfect love of God. It's a love that's meant to be just as Adam needed Eve. You'll hold each other's hands, you'll help each other stand. And I know that you can see that it's love that will hold you. Love that will mold you, love that says I'll be right by your side. For the Son has redeemed you, the Spirit will guide you. May your love reflect the perfect love of God. May your love reflect the perfect love of God. Let's pray together. Our great God and Father, may this be true of us. May this be true of the love that we share uh, with one another. May our uh, friendships, pursuit of deeper relationships, relationships reflect this love, Lord. May our marriages reflect this love that you have shown to us, a love that is committed and selfless. We thank you for this love song, the language that you have given us to understand the beauty and depths of our desire, the desire that you have to spend forever with us. I would draw us closer, Lord. Make us ready for our wedding day. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.